everything. It does. Everything changes. And that's why the gospel, and we talk about it a lot at our church, at Southwest, the gospel drives everything. And it drives our vision. Now, today I'm going to share with you not just a one-year vision, but actually when the pastors got together last year, we thought about what does the next three years look like, and how can we track progress over three years rather than just one year. So I'm going to share the three-year vision. But firstly, I want to show you why it's so important to start with the gospel, and that's going to be from Colossians chapter 1. So let's go. If you've got your outlines, we're up to point number one. Um, and please keep your Bibles open or your apps open on Colossians 1, because we're going to look at this in a little bit of detail. Now, I want you to notice, as we look at it again, maybe just glance and maybe just kind of skim read it again, do you notice any key ideas or repeated themes? Do you notice any patterns there? you might see that probably, quite obviously, it, you know, even in our Bibles, there's two paragraphs between verses 3 and 14. The first paragraph is verses 3 to 8. That's sort of the first half, yeah? The second paragraph, verses 9 to 14, the second half. And you'll notice that each paragraph opens with prayer. You probably notice that too. Verse 3, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Paul is giving thanks to God in prayer because these Christians that he's never actually met before, Right, Colossians, he's writing to a church in the ancient city of Colossae, which is in modern Turkey, Asia Minor, they call it. He's never actually met them before, but he's heard enough about their faith to want to write to them. And he's thanking God for them. So that's verse 3, the first half. But then the second half, look at verse 9. What's he doing there? He's also praying. But this time it's not a prayer of thanksgiving, it's a prayer for them. So one Prayer looks to the past, giving thanks, and one prayer looks to the future. He's praying for them. But this passage really is about prayer, both halves. The other thing you might notice about both halves is there's a repeated phrase or repeated idea, and it's the idea of bearing fruit. Did you notice that? Bearing fruit, yeah? Verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit around the world as it has among those Christians in Colossae. First half. Second half, also verse 10. What's Paul praying for? Among other things, that they would bear fruit in every good work. So, you got that? Two halves, united around two themes, prayer, fruit. But in between, you'll notice it's also quite a bit of a dense number of verses. So, I'm going to help us out with a diagram, and Jared's going to help me with that because my clicker's not working. Um, nope, the next slide. Okay, we'll start with that. First half, let's just look at verses 3 to 8. We've got the first prayer of thanksgiving. So we'll look at the first half first, and the diagram will help us. So we start with prayer. But in verse 3, Paul tells us what he's giving thanks for. Right? What is he actually giving thanks for? Next click. Yep, okay. He's giving thanks, you'll notice in verses 3 to 6, because he's heard of their Christian lives. And their Christian lives are summarized by faith, love, and hope. Or often you'll hear in this order, faith, hope, and love. Um, those verses mention faith, hope, and love like a lot of other places in the Bible because it's a really nice summary of what the Christian life is sort of characterized by. Faith, hope, love, or in other words, lives that bear fruit. Because when a follower of Jesus is full of faith and hope and love, they are bearing fruit like a good fruit tree. They're producing a good harvest. They're multiplying something beautiful and wonderful and pleasing to God that may have only started from just a seed. So you got that? This prayer of thanks comes from, next click, fruitful living. All right, and one more click. 
There you go. So fruitful living is why he gives thanks. Now let's look at the second half. The second half of this, the second prayer, verse 9, Paul now prays for them, but what does he pray might happen? Next click. He prays in those verses that they may live lives worthy of God, that please Him in every way, and there's that phrase again, that bear fruit in every good work. And if you want to look more specifically in verses 11 and 12, he also says that they would have power, he prays that they would have power to patiently and joyfully endure, reminding us again that the Christian life is not supposed to be easy. It's hard. Persecution, suffering, sickness, sadness, sin is all part of it. And it takes power and prayerful power to endure it. But all of that together, okay, worthy lives that please God, power to joyfully endure, that's also what you can call fruitful living, isn't it? Right? The prayer in the first half came from fruitful living, so you see the arrow going downwards. Now it's being redirected back. Next click, it's going back towards fruitful living. So first half is a prayer from fruitfulness. Second half is a prayer for fruitfulness. All right, that's a nice breakdown of the two halves, but there's a little bit more. You see, there's another key unifying element in these verses. And it's not surprising, since this is what I'm talking about and what I've started with, that that key thing is, next click, the gospel. Right, you see that? Jared, next one. Yeah, the gospel. That momentous, life-changing news about Jesus. So in the first half, you'll notice, Paul gives thanks, as we saw the arrow, because of their fruitful lives. But what has caused their fruitful lives? What's caused fruitfulness, not just in them, but as he says in verse 6, all over the world? Well, verse 5 tells us, doesn't it? It's the truth that they heard in the gospel. And verses 7 to 8, next click, it's through Paul's co-worker Epaphras that they heard this truth, that they learned this truth, and truly understood it. So you'll see, next click, there's an arrow coming down from the gospel to fruitful living. Right? He prays because it's fruitful living, but what's caused that is the gospel. Prayer comes from fruit. Fruit comes from the gospel. The gospel is the cause of it all. Now, what's going to happen in the second half? You can probably guess. Here's a prayer for fruitful living. That itself is a result or a consequence of another prayer. So, look at verse 9. Next click. Paul prays that these Christians may be filled with knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10, in order that they may live fruitful lives that please God and so on. So, he's praying that they would know God's will because knowing God's will will lead to fruitful living. How do you know God's will? What kind of knowledge is he talking about? Well, he doesn't mention the word but we know the answer, don't we? You know God's will through the news, the announcement, the most important information He's given us, and that is the gospel. Because that's how a person knows what God's will is. Not just for their own life, not just for the world, but in fact for where all the whole universe is heading. And if you want more of that, come to Weekend Away. There's a nice plug. It's knowing the gospel that gives us true wisdom and understanding. And in case we miss it, Verses 13 and 14 really are a wonderful summary of the gospel. So in case you missed that, this whole passage really is foundationally about the gospel. Look at the last two verses again. Let me read them. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, right? This is the good news in a nutshell, the gospel. So you'll see the second half, Paul's prayer for fruitful Christian living also, last click of all, also comes from the gospel. There he goes, my diagrammatic summary of Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. It took me ages. I did it on the plane um, on the way to Taiwan. (laughs) Okay, there it is. That's the gospel, how it's so central. It's as they know the gospel more and more that they will live fruitful lives that please God in every way because the gospel is the foundation for every kind of good thing that comes out of the Christian life. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to see your life bear fruit, if you want to see your life please God, it comes out of the gospel. If you want to see God's kingdom grow and spread throughout the world in places like Vietnam, as we saw in the video, where half of 1% know Jesus, it's going to come from the gospel. The gospel that does work in us and bears fruit in us will also overflow to bear fruit in the world. It's the same fruit, gospel fruit in us, gospel fruit out there. It's the same fruit. So it's really important that it starts from here, starts from inside of us, it starts from among us, because the more that we bear fruit here, the more it will naturally overflow all around the world. So that's why the gospel is so central. Now let's have a think about our church's vision for 2019. So as I said, not just for 2019, but actually vision 2021, because we have, we want to see three years, at least a three year of strategically thinking what's most important in the life of our church. What are the things we want to be aiming for prayerfully and tracking and really see God grow us? So we came up with three things and they're on your outlines. The first one is deeper. The second one is wider. The third one is further. Very easy to remember. Deeper, wider, further. So let me go with the first one, Jared. Next slide, deeper, there you go. That's all that slide's going to say. Stay on that one. Colossians 1 has shown us that everything comes out of the gospel because the gospel is not just nice news. The gospel is life-changing news that affects everything. So you can't just hear the gospel and then move on. Hear the gospel and then forget. You'll notice even in these verses, in verse 7, it's something that they had to learn. Right? Something that takes time and effort because it's simple and yet deep. And so you have to learn it. They had to learn it. But it's not like the other stuff you learn, university, school, wherever you learn stuff. It's not just head knowledge, is it? Verse 6 says you've got to truly understand God's grace in the gospel. And then verse 9 tells us what kind of understanding that is. It takes God to reveal it because it takes the Spirit's wisdom and understanding or spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh, that welcome sound of rain. Awesome. So this is our first aim, right? First aim as a church in our vision for the next three years is that, to go deeper into knowing this gospel, deeper into understanding it, really grabbing hold of it, letting it grab hold of us and affect every part of our lives. Or in terms that you're probably more familiar with, it essentially is wanting to go deeper as followers of Jesus, as disciples, go deeper in maturity as disciples. Maturity is one of our M's, isn't it? Our church's mission is to make, mature, mobilize, multiply. So we need to go deeper in maturity. And everything else, God willing, flows out from here. So it's Australian Open season. Well, tonight's the men's finals. 
Go Nadal. Um, so we, uh, I think it's, it's helpful to remember that the Christian life is a little bit more like tennis and getting better at tennis rather than piano. Some of you heard this before. You know, when you're learning piano and getting better, and if you want to get really good at piano, it, you actually have to keep learning new skills, new techniques. Um, if you haven't done all the scales, new scales, um, new songs, and there's always going to be new songs for you to learn. And so improvement for piano is really a never-ending accumulation, not just of old skills, but new skills, new things. Whereas if you know tennis, tennis really is a few basic things that you can pretty much get in the first six months of learning tennis. I mean, think about it. There's a few strokes that the pros and the kid who plays tennis on a weekend all do. The forehand, the backhand, the serve, the volley, the overhead smash, maybe throw in there a drop shot. You know, there's just a few basic strokes. But what's the difference between the great Roger Federer and the kid who plays tennis on the weekend? Right? Roger Federer knows how to play those strokes really, really well. He's taken the basics and he's gone so deep into them and he's done them so well that he is the greatest of all time. I'd like to think that is the only difference between Federer and me as well. All right? But you kind of get what I mean. All right? What, what, is, what is the Christian life? It's not learning piano, always learning new things, growing in your repertoire of songs. No, no, no. The Christian life is much more like getting better at tennis. It's getting deeper into the things that are very basic, the things that brought you in in the first place, the good news, the gospel, the great news of Jesus, and then knowing them really, really well, and then letting them affect every part of your life. And you see, that is what we want at SWEC, for every single follower of Jesus to experience, from the baby Christian to the elderly Christian. We want everyone to go deeper into the gospel. So this year, I want you to ask yourself, how are you going to do that? In what areas might you be able to go deeper? And our January series, I remember it's head, heart, and hands. It's helpful to remember that going deeper involves all three. So let me throw out a few diagnostic questions. Do you, for example, know how the entire Bible, all 66 books, fits together through the gospel? In other words, you understand how the Old and the New Testaments from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, actually unites around and points to Jesus. Do you actually know how that works? How the Psalms point to Jesus, how Numbers points to Jesus, how Zechariah points to Jesus. It's all united around Jesus, all 66 books. When you have doubts and questions in your life, do you know how the answers actually flow out of and comes out of the basic truth of the gospel? Really, it does. Do you know how that works? Is your worldview shaped by the gospel? Can you answer questions like, who is God? Who are we as human beings? What is the meaning of life? What happens after we die? What is the foundation of right and wrong or ethics? These worldview questions, do you know how they also flow out of the basic gospel? When you're faced with sin and temptation in your life, do you fight it with gospel truths? Do you know how to endure suffering, sickness, trials, grief through the gospel? 
Are your prayers progressively more and more shaped by the gospel? Is your marriage, your parenting, your singleness, your retirement, your work, your study, every part of your life, is it genuinely shaped by the gospel? Now, if you can't answer yes to all those questions, don't worry. This is not a guilt trip. The reason why I raise them is because this is our aim. Our church's vision is that every member of our church would grow in some way in deeper and more maturity as disciples. So you might not hit all of those targets in the next year, three years, maybe even 10 years, doesn't really matter. But in some way, head, heart, and hands, you will all, we will all go deeper. Right? There's really no end point to this. You, you never really reach level 20 or whatever it is, the end point of Christian life. You just keep going. We all need to keep growing deeper in our knowledge of the gospel. It's a little bit like riding a bike. Right? You know this time is coming. I'm going to talk about bikes. Um, the thing about riding a bike is you just keep pedaling, keep going forward, and then you won't fall over. Once you stop pedaling, you will fall. All right? doesn't matter if you're going fast or slow. Your stage of life... Life circumstances often affects that, but just keep moving forward. Even if this year is just inching forward a little bit, go deeper. So how can you do that? What's your part in that? Well, in 2019, a very simple, simple thing that we would love, we as church leaders would love for you to do, is simply to work out how you can get more involved. You got that? Get involved. Because guess what? Our job is to provide programs opportunities to shepherd you, to help you grow deeper in head, heart, and hands, in knowledge and discipleship. But you know what? It's all a waste if you don't get involved, right? They're there, but you've got to get involved, which actually means, and again, there's always going to be exceptions. Like there's some of you um, with multiple young kids. We've been there. We know what that's like. Some of you with health problems in many ways. And you know what? Just making it on a Sunday is a big effort. And we just want to say thank you and we're encouraged by that. But you know what? For the majority of us, probably, if Sunday is the only thing you're involved in, then going deeper does generally get harder if you go deeper at all. You basically can't be a Sunday Christian and really go deeper. So if you're not part of the exceptions, are you part of a community group? Do you read the Bible regularly with others, including if you're married and have kids, your spouse, your kids, your family? Do you do that? Do you pray together with them? Now, if you are part of the young families with lots of little ones running around and making it on Sundays hard, making it together to a CG almost seems impossible. Can I just tell you that Karen and I really want to work with you on that this year? And we're going to start the year with a family's workshop seminar that I probably have told all of the, the parents about, 2nd of March on a Saturday. We're also going to talk about what is a workable Bible study community group type situation that might work for you. All right, so come along to 2nd of March. That'll be really important. But for everyone, are you part of a CG? If you're not, uh, go and see, who are we seeing? Uh, John, John. John will be quite happy to let you know which CG you would grow in. Okay, how about this? Are you active in serving in some way? Are you part of a ministry team? A lot of you are, and that's fantastic. If you're not, and you want to, go see Pastor Marshall. 
Do you come to things like prayer meetings? I'll talk about prayer right at the end, but if we do nothing else this year and in the next three years, but really pray more, we're going to see amazing things happen. So come along on Wednesday night as we commit our vision and our month to God. Do you come to these things like prayer meetings? And even as we talk about Sunday at 4 p.m., our worship service, do you come prepared? Do you think about what you're going to be doing? Perhaps take notes during sermons because that'll help you remember how are you approaching even the Sunday thing, right? This is a new year. Again, it's not to guilt trip you, but we really want to go deeper into the gospel. So get involved. That's the first one. Let's go to the next slide. The next one is wider. Now, wider is not the same as further. So further is at my next point. Further has to do with mission. All right, more people coming to know Jesus. Wider, what we mean by this, is wider relationships in a church community at Southwest. So Colossians 1, part of fruitfulness, you'll notice, involves love. And love can't be something that you do yourself. Verse 4, he says, love for all of God's people, or the older NIV has, the love for all the saints, right? Love can't happen without loving other Christians, without relationships. Now, just coming back to the idea, verse 4, as I said, the older NIV or other translations will have love for all the saints. That's closer to the original. So who are the saints? Who are the saints? Is it, as the um, newer NIV says, all of God's people? Or is it like um, the Catholic view, you know, the Catholic view of saints, that there are only specially holy Christians that get to be called saints, people with halos and paintings? Who are the saints? Well, you probably can tell, and you probably know enough of the Bible, for those of you who've been regular, that it's not the Catholic view, right? And that's why the newer NIV will translate it as love for all of God's people. But I actually think that here, saints, while it's not talking about just really specially holy people, I think Paul here means something a little bit more specific than just all Christians. I think what he means here, as he does in other parts of his letters, is he means a subset of Christians, and that is not specially holy Christians or really good Christians, but particularly Jewish Christians. You got that? Jewish Christians. Because you know the term saints was especially used for God's Old Testament people who were special to him, the Jews. And so, even in the New Testament, often when Paul uses the term the saints, he means Jewish Christians. It's a shorthand for Jewish Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, I won't, don't turn to it, but 2 Corinthians 8, 4, Paul talks about a financial collection for the Christians in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, because of famine. And this relief collection, he says, were for the saints. He calls them the saints. And he means there the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so I think here in Colossians 1, it's just as valid to read that maybe in verse 4, he's actually talking about love for the saints, the Colossians, who are not Jews, especially showing love to the saints, meaning Jewish Christians. And it could also mean that the Colossians also financially took part in the relief efforts for the Jerusalem Jewish Christians who were under stress for, from famine. So they were showing love in a very practical way, right? A non-Jewish church, a Gentile church, 
for Jewish Christians all the way on the other side of the empire because they were Christians who bore fruit and because, and this is the point we're getting at, the gospel calls us to wider community. Community that crosses barriers. If the Jewish, non-Jewish, the Jewish Gentile barrier can be crossed, then any barrier can be crossed. And so we want to see our church express love, also love, bearing fruit type love, across all kinds of barriers. Cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, language barriers, also age barriers, stage of life barriers, socioeconomic barriers. We want to see a church that is so wide in community that embraces anyone and everyone. Now, there are such big aims, aren't they? And we can't even expect in three years that we're going to get all to all the places we want with the wide community. So let's just start with baby steps. In 2019, let's just start with baby steps. And what, what that involves, I think, <clears throat> as a beginning is this. If you're a regular here at Bankstown 4 p.m., have a look around and think, which are the age groups? Which are the cultural groups? Which are the friendship groups? Which are the stages of life groups? that find it more difficult to connect and build real friendships, right? I mean, you could be part of one of these groups, or you could be part of the group that's been here forever and find it really easy. You know everyone. Have you noticed who are the groups or the types of people that would find it more difficult? Now, of course, that's going to look different for us as 4 p.m., then 11 a.m. Kingsgrove, then Mandarin at 9 a.m., but I think it starts with that, noticing and I want you to notice, especially if you happen to be part of the group or the, the group that is the majority or the group that you already feel like you're pretty connected. You have great friendships. You don't really struggle, you know, dread walking into church on a Sunday afternoon because you know people and people know you. Well, you know what? The gospel calls the strong to sacrifice for the weak. It calls on the majority to look out and take the initiative to look out for the minority. Because that's really the gospel. And that's what God does, yeah? He leaves his throne of power to come and sacrifice himself for the powerless. The stronger comes for the weaker. He takes the initiative. Last week we saw with Pastor Dom, he washes his disciples' feet. And he calls us to do the same. So this means that if you happen to be... Because like anytime we talk about community and mingling, everyone's like, well, you make the first move. And then, no, you make the first move. Well, I'm not getting to know that group of people, the young parents, because I'm not part of the young parents group, and they haven't made the first move, and they're older than me, and they're a little bit scary, or, you know, or they're younger than me, and I don't know how to make that. And everyone's waiting for each other to make the move. I think the gospel calls, particularly for the majority, to especially take the initiative with the minority group. So if you're part of the majority group in this congregation, then it really is your job to go out of your comfort zone, to look out for, to be friend, to show hospitality to those who aren't part of the majority group, yeah? So figure out, are you part of that group? Do you know people really well? You don't, have to, you don't even have to name what group you're part of, but you know what I mean? Like, if you're comfortable, if you're someone who's just connected well, it's your responsibility to break down some of these barriers and take the initiative to do that, and that's a really good start. I mean, if we could start with that, then I think in a year's time we will see this community already wider because there'll be people walking through our doors who maybe a year ago would just not have felt welcome because no one's taking the initiative with them. But because we're all 
choosing to be welcomers, and especially the majority, the connected, looking out for the disconnected, they're going to be and feel that much more welcome. And by the way, this is why we put weekend away early in the year. Usually we have it at the end of the year, like last few years we did, last year we did. And you might be thinking, oh gosh, I just did it at the end of last year. Why would we want to go away again in March? It's coming up so soon. What's the reason for that? It's because of this aim. We want to help establish connections right at the beginning of the year and calling on you to make the effort, firstly, to come. If you've um, got young kids, it's not only expensive, it's tiring. I know the cost, but can I urge you to come? To come, because it will help us achieve this aim. Because you might not think, I've got much to give, I'm just going to look after my kids. By the way, there will be a kids program. But your energy is going to tie it up with them. But you know what? There'll be people there, young adults at Kingsgrove, heaps of them. They would love to get to know some families who are just one or two stages of life ahead of them. There are some marrieds here without kids, and they would love for you to be there, even though you've got little kids running around and you're too tired. to. But, you know, they just love to get to know you. Do you see what I mean? You might not think you have a lot to contribute, but just by being there creates relationships that hopefully in March we'll be able to start and then in the rest of the year we'll be able to strengthen. So let me give Weekend Away a huge plug because it'll go a big way into this aim of wider. Okay, last of all, can you still hear me? I know the rain's kind of loud. Yeah, at the back? Okay, because I'm kind of I'm kind of yelling here, so turn me up if I start losing my voice. Last of all, last slide further. Um, we want to see the gospel bear fruit within overflowing to outside. And you remember the gospel is not something you can take or leave. The gospel is about life and death. It's about a change of regime. It's about the kingdom of light or darkness. It's about heaven or hell. It's about punishment or forgiveness. It's about rebellion or reconciliation. Verses 13 and 14. This is the gospel. It is such momentous news that God provided a way for human beings to be rescued and forgiven, to be brought back into relationship with Him. The gospel means, and it's such good news, isn't it, that if you, if you trust in Jesus who died for you and was raised again, that you can be part of God's wonderful plan to save and renew the universe, and you can be forgiven. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, a lot of this probably isn't going to be relevant to you, but this is. That today, and any day you are willing to put your life in Jesus' hands and trust in Him, you can be saved. And we really hope that you can. But as I said, the gospel is good news if you receive it, but if you reject it, it is bad news. Because the intrinsic meaning of gospel isn't just good news, it's big news, it's important news. But it's such important news that we ought to want to urgently and passionately see it go as far as possible. It's a tragedy that only half a percent of Vietnamese people in Vietnam know Jesus. And it's even more of a tragedy that some of them may have never even heard the name of Jesus. Now I love that our church um, is really mission-minded both mission locally, every time we have an invitation event, you guys go all out and you're inviting people, that's great. Globally, we're really seeing that. 
I mean, this Vietnam mission is actually just one of three short-term mission teams going out this year. Lots of you are doing that kind of stuff. But we want to see more of that happen. And in order for more of that to happen, we actually need support structures. I mean, just to give you an example, getting people along to an event because we're great at inviting isn't so hard. Getting people to hear about Jesus isn't so hard in, in the history of our church. Even getting people to make a decision to follow Jesus isn't that hard, as in it's always God's work, but we've seen that happen. But I'll tell you where the support structures fail us. And as we analyze our church over the last few years and thinking about the years to come, we have leaks in that. In that we see people become dis being made disciples, but there's a leak between making disciples and maturing disciples. You kind of get what I mean? And then along the maturity aspect, there's, a, there's leaks all along the way, so not enough people get mobilized as disciples to serve and therefore grow as they serve, and then we can't really multiply. And so if you like to think about it, um, the funnel's kind of big at the top, but then the leaks are so much along the way that we're not really making the most of all of the people that God is using you to bring. And this isn't primarily your problem, this is all of our problem, and particularly something that we as a leadership want to address. Right? That's in terms of our local mission. What about a global mission? Well, one, one huge problem I can foresee is that we now have more people interested in global missions than we, can, than we can support in terms of giving them advice and walking them through that. And if they all want to go on missions and be sent overseas in the next 10 years, which a lot of them do, guess what? We won't have enough money to support them. Right? Do you see what we have? We have actually, if we look further into the future, we're really thankful for all the ways in which he's growing us to think further, but we've got to actually begin to put structures in and, and things in here now so that in 10 years' time, when all the people want to go globally or overseas, we have the support structures to send them and the money to send them and all the people that God brings along to things like our February month or fresh, we actually are able to follow through and mature and mobilize and then that's where we're failing at the moment and so what i want you to know isn't that you've got to go away and panic because that's part of what we're thinking through in order to go further our church is laying foundations now that we hope for the next 10 years will mean that we are in a better place in terms of support structures you might be wondering why our church's finances are in deficit this year for the first time in 10 years, we are budgeting for a deficit. And it's likely to be a deficit for at least the next three years. And you might be wondering why a church of three congregations needs four full-time pastors. Well, this is the reason why. Because we need to be investing heavily now for the next 10 years. I'll just give you an example why we, for example, over the, we've got two English congregations and we have three full-time pastors who minister in English, so Dom, Marshall, and myself. Why do we need three for two? Well, to give you an insight into the reasons why is I need to be able to continue to grow our team of elders and pastors to keep thinking about the broader vision stuff. In other words, if, I'm, if all I'm doing is being tied to one congregation, whether it's Bankstown or Kingsgrove, and that's going to suck up 100% of my energy, then, and I've found in the last few years, no one's actually thinking the broader vision stuff. 
No one's uniting the team, growing us and the elders and the future elders to think about, well, how do we tackle the next three years, the next 10 years? No one's playing the lead pastor role, which actually is my job, but I found that I found it hard to do whilst also being tied to one congregation. That's one of the reasons why God has provided for us enough pastors, more than enough pastors for our two English congregations. We see what we're doing. We're laying foundations now for the future. And that's, that means our, our, our finance is going to be in deficit. It really does. But it doesn't have to really hurt us because God willing, we will grow in the next few years in order to meet some of the financial deficit. And also, look, I don't know how God has blessed you. Maybe you look at your finances and you think, actually, I could be giving more. And if that's you and God moves you to do that, this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. Don't think it's for this year, next year, the year after. Think what God can do through the investment now for the next 10 years. That's what we want to see, the gospel go further, locally and globally. I'd love to see all the young adults who now want to serve in global missions, when they're ready to be sent out, we actually have enough to support every single one of them in some way. I'd love to see that. But that's going to take money. But I don't want to finish with money because that's a stupid way of finishing, isn't it? Because vision is so much more than money. Money is the easy part. If you just open your wallet and you find that easy, I mean, some of you might find that hard, but really, relatively, it's easy. I'll tell you what's more difficult. Let me end with these three things. As I said, number one, if nothing else comes from our vision this year, then we pray more, then I would be happy because when we are at the end of our abilities, and we submit to God, then He begins to do the miraculous and the amazing. So I love the fact that we've had 21 days of prayer, and I hope it's just the beginning. Because we really want to see God move. It starts with prayer. So let me urge you to be a prayer warrior. Right? Come to prayer meetings. Pray together with God's people. This Wednesday, every month on a Sunday before church. But if you can't make it, then make sure that you are praying lots and lots for our church, for your friends, for the gospel. That's number one, prayer. Number two, we can see the gospel go further just by us living Jesus-filled lives. Remember, as we bear fruit, it can't help but overflow. So as your friends and family who don't yet follow Jesus look at your life, can they see the attractiveness that Jesus brings to your life, right? Can they see a difference? Because your witness through your actions and your words is going to help the gospel go further. And it's going to help when you ask them, hey, come along to church with me. They're going to say, yeah, you know what? I think I will because I can see something different about you. So that's the second thing, witness. And then the last thing is invite. All right, we've got a number of invitation events. But it's getting really loud, isn't it? All right, I've got another minute to go. What we're trying to do this year is something we call We Want Your Friends to Be Our Friends. I think we talked about a weekend away. We want your friends to be our friends. And that's going to take some of your initiative. Think about the ways you can bring right, your friends who don't yet know Jesus along to meet with the friends from church who do know Jesus Like, for example, you're going karaoke sometime, which, by the way, is happening tonight after church. Is that right, Jeff? Right? Or you play Oztag, 
there's always great opportunities for lots of people who don't yet know Jesus to know a group of people who do know Jesus. And if you were at Weekend Away and you heard Grant Borg, it's pretty significant when our non-believing friends meet a whole bunch of people just like them and yet who trust and believe in Jesus. It's something that maybe they've never encountered before and it actually changes their perception of it. So invite people along, not just to church, but to your life, into your life. Think about the hospitality stuff that Pastor Dom talked about last week, all right? Pray, witness, invite, deeper, wider, further, and I'm going to stop fighting that rain. So I'm going to get the, uh, the music team to come up. We're going to sing. Let me pray as they come up.